podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Tuesday, the 5th of July, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use that code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. Today, we have couple of things to discuss. We're going to start with a bit of an unsavory, well, a very unsavory one. A Premier League player has been arrested on suspicion of rape in North London. A Premier League and international footballer has been arrested in North London on suspicion of rape. The 29-year-old who has not been named was taken into custody on Monday morning where he remains. This has been reported by The Telegraph. The Metropolitan Police told BBC Sport on July 4th the allegation of rape of a woman in her 20s was reported to the police. It was reported the alleged rape happened in June 2022. The statement added on the 4th of July, a 29-year-old man was arrested at an address in Barnet on suspicion of rape and taken into custody where he remains. Inquiries about the circumstances are ongoing. Now, Key to note here, the 29-year-old who has not been named, they've not named this player. So speculation doesn't help anybody. All it does is potentially slander the names of innocent men. It may well be that there is a guilty man living in Barnet who's a Premier League footballer, an international footballer, but it doesn't hurt, it doesn't help anyone to speculate who that player could be. You can go through the squad lists and narrow it down, but you really, really should not be openly speculating who it might be because all that does is cause harm. And the most important thing here is to remember that a woman has made this complaint, a woman has been assaulted. She is the focus here. She is the one that everybody should be caring about. That's it. Her life has been forever changed. And that's the only thing that really matters here. So if you want to talk about this, just send good vibes to her. Don't speculate. Don't try and point score because it might be someone on a rival team or any of that kind of nonsense. The concerning thing here, among many concerning things, is this is now a growing trend in the Premier League. I mean, we've already got the Benjamin Mendy thing. There's the Gilfie Sigurdsson thing. There's the Mason Greenwood thing. And now this. Obviously, East Basuma went through his ordeal last year. And whatever happened there happened there. He's his case has been dropped. The one against him has been dropped anyway. I don't know what will happen with regards to his his uh, co-accused, but certainly it's a worrying, growing trend and something that you know needs to be stamped out fairly quickly. Moving on to more lighthearted things, 
The Sierra Leone Football Association is investigating the outcome of two matches that produced an unbelievable total of 187 goals. 187 goals in two matches. Two second-tier games between Kahunla Rangers and Gulf FC of Kono heavily defeat, defeated their city rivals in a Premier League qualifier on Sunday. Kahunla walloped Lumbebu United 95-0 and Gulf FC uh, thrashed Kokuma Lebanon 91-1. The halftime scores in those games, one was 2-0 and the other one was 7-1. So Kohunla scored 93 goals in the second half and Gulf FC scored 84 goals in the second half. And they're investigating to see if anything was amiss. I mean... Seriously. Every player involved, every manager, coach, official, everybody involved should be banned for life because this is the most blatant, most flagrant act of match fixing I've ever seen. Absolutely bonkers. 93 goals in a half. Jesus wept. Um, if we go back a month, there was a life ban for a South African club who scored 41 own goals. After four clubs were banned for life from the fourth tier of South African football after fixing games in a bid to win the league. Oh, magnificent. 41 own goals. African football is just, it's just different, isn't it? Like, it is just a little bit different. Magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Uh, moving on. Cristiano Ronaldo is not expected to, or was not expected to, a train, to attend Manchester United's pre-season training again today. So he skipped training yesterday and has decided not to come to training again today. Now, he is citing family reasons, but we know that he's asked to leave. And Samuel Luckhurst has reported today that United's failure to qualify for the Champions League has triggered a 25% reduction on players' salaries, which sources close to Cristiano Ronaldo say has upset the player. His basic wage for next season is now only a paltry 360 grand a week. Um, I don't know if that's true. That certainly wasn't the case in previous times that they missed the Champions League. I don't know that he would have agreed to take a 25% pay cut considering he had United over a barrel last summer. But it's hilarious if it is true that he is crying because he's only going to earn 360 grand a week. Just the 18 million pounds a year then for Cristiano, uh, the poor boy, however will he live. The, the, the Cristiano thing is turning into a bit of a circus. Him not being a training is unacceptable. It's reminiscent of Harry Kane last season. Of course, he won't get called out for it because he's Cristiano and the media seems scared of him, but someone needs to call him out. But some senior player needs to come out and say something. It's all very, very strange. The idea of him going to Chelsea just gets funnier and funnier. And Matt Law says that it is a real thing. Todd Bowley has asked Thomas Tuchel if he wants him. Tuchel admires the player but has not yet discussed a bowl if he could fit into his team. He can't fit into your team. It's as simple as that. You tried last season with Lukaku, 
who's a better number nine than Cristiano Ronaldo at this point in his career. And it didn't work. You got immensely frustrated that Lukaku wouldn't press. Cristiano presses even less than Lukaku. Chelsea are hoping to sign Raheem Sterling and one other player this week. Uh, Matt Law says defenders and Sterling are currently the priority for Tuchel. A lot of people would be surprised if he expressed a desire to sign Cristiano, regardless of how much he admires him. But that is a conversation that still needs to be had. No, it doesn't. Do you want to sign him? No. But no. But uh, no. End of conversation. There is no conversation that needs to be had with regards to signing him. If you're Chelsea Football Club and you want to be a serious football club, even the article in The Athletic that laid out the, the case for signing him, none of it was football related. All of it was marketing, being on TV more, more attention to the club, building the brand. I'm sorry, but whatever growth of in the brand you see will not account for his wages and the money you will lose when you go out early in this coming season's Champions League and aren't competing in the following season's Champions League. There's no sense at all in signing him if you're Chelsea. Let him go somewhere else and be someone else's problem. Let him go and be a distraction elsewhere. Manchester City have confirmed that Rodolfo Burrell will take over from Juan Milano as uh, Guardiola's number two with Enzo Morasca returning to the club as a first-team coach. Rodolfo Burrell, formerly of Liverpool, has been at City a few years now and um, had primarily been kind of an academy type of coach when he was at Liverpool. City have given him more first-team responsibilities, obviously another one with Barcelona connections. So it makes sense that he would be close to Pep and, and have that relationship and be appointed as the number two. Uh, Left-back Tyrell Malashia has become Eric Ten Hag's first signing as Manchester United manager. Initial fee is 12.9 million with a further 1.7 and add-ons a four-year contract to June of 2026 with the option of another year club option you would imagine four-year contract is unusual a good player wasn't someone United needed just isn't but I could see him and Sancho linking up very well down that left side but the question is what now happens to Luke Shaw like what is now the purpose of Luke Shaw Alex Tellers, I can see leaving. I just don't imagine Luke Shaw is going to be very happy to stay and be a squad player. Now, could he play as a centre-back in a three? Yeah, definitely. Luke Shaw can absolutely play left side of a back three. Don't think he'll be elite at it by any stretch, but he can certainly play there to a good level. So is Ten Hag going to play a back three? I mean, the targeting of Lisandro Martinez suggests that maybe he is, although, as I mentioned yesterday, he could also be a holding midfielder for them. But if you do sign Martinez and he's going to play in defence, then Shaw might as well look for a new club. Bryce Samba has completed his medical and will sign a five-year contract with Len from Nottingham Forest for an undisclosed fee. Um, look, he's not as good as Dean Henderson. He has ideas well above his level. And I think it's a good move for Forrest to move him on. Meanwhile, Forrest have agreed a deal for Moussa Niakata, 10 million euro plus five in add-ons, a three-year contract. Former French youth international will join Forrest at their training camp in Spain. I like this one. I think he gives them a different type of centre-back to Worrell and McKenna. I think he can fit well in a back three with the pair of them. Uh, and that might well be 
them done at centre back. So he's big, he's strong, he's rangy, he's quick. He's a good player. He's been very good for Mines. He was good at Mets before that. I think Nottingham Forest fans can be very, very happy with this one. And it's continuing a trend of good business for Forest. You get a one in, you get Bianconi in. I assume that he'll be a squad player. Uh, Dean Henderson in is a big upgrade in goal. So I like Forest business so far. I think they're doing very, very well. I think when we look at it, goalkeeper sorted, centre-back sorted, striker sorted. I didn't have them down to get a depth centre-back, but I also didn't factor in that they would release uh, Figueredo. So he replaces him in terms of depth. They also released Carl Jenkinson. They still need to get the wing-back sorted. It does look like they have plans for that. They still need to get their centre midfield sorted. It looks like they've got a plan for that. They'll still need to replace Inkernagel. And I wonder if that's where they look to use their loan, if their other Premier League loan. My guess is that's what they do. I think they'll look to bring in another loan player in that number 10 position. Spend their money in the other areas. Become very, very solid and look to get a high upside young player to come into that position as someone that suits how they play. And look, they, they, it may well be that they turn around and just buy Morgan Gibbs-White and decide that he's the 10 they want. They have been linked with him and he'd be a great addition. Uh, he'd be a good addition for pretty much anybody at this point. Very, very good player. Tyler Adams is set to join Leeds this week. 20 million inclusive of add-ons to be paid in installments. Uh, he will have his medical. Initially, that deal was going to be a loan with an option to buy, but Leeds have decided to make it a permanent deal. I like it. I think he's a very good player. He's not Calvin Phillips, but in two, three years, who knows? Him and Mark Roca will be a big upgrade on Phillips and whoever was there last year. So I think that's pretty good. Uh, they're also attempting to close a deal for Luis Sinistera, the young Colombian winger from Feyenoord. Very, very talented, very exciting player, goal-scoring wide player. Now, the assumption would be he's a replacement for Rafinha, but he's a right-footed left winger, and obviously Rafinha's a left-footed right winger. So I'm not sure he is a replacement for Rafinha, Maybe he's just an addition to the squad. It sounds like Charles de Ketelier is the one they want to replace Rafinha, and there'll probably be some shuffling then. So maybe Jack Harrison goes across to the right side, Sinistera on the left. Maybe Aronson plays on the right side. Maybe Harrison drops a bit deeper. Who knows? Uh, Leeds are putting together a fairly solid window, though, and that's, that's what they need. That is what they need. Because the last couple of years, it hasn't been good enough what they've done in the transfer market. Talks between Paris Saint-Germain and Sassuolo are ongoing for Scamica. Uh, no agreement. Sassuolo want 50 million. He is so talented. I'm a big, big fan. Rodrigo, Eder Militao and Vinicius Jr. are all set to sign new contracts with Real Madrid. Uh, Vinicius until 2026, Militao and Rodrigo until 2028. All three will include 1 billion release clauses. The 1 billion release clause, just hilarious. Uh, Real Madrid are set to, they do funny things as well though. Uh, Mario Gilla is leaving on a permanent deal to Lazio. That's neither here nor there. But Luka Jovic, is going on a permanent move to Fiorentina on a free transfer with a 50% sell-on clause. Now, bear in mind, in 2019, three years ago, Real spent over £50 million to sign him, gave him a six-year contract. Since joining Real, he spent 
a season on loan in the Bundesliga with Eintracht Frankfurt, where he'd been before, and now they're just giving up on him. It seems like a strange move. And what do they do if anything happens to Benzema? Because they don't really have a backup. Uh, Aaron Hickey will today or tomorrow sign his contract with Brentford, the young Scottish left-back from Bologna, moving to the UK, fee in the region of about £18 million, inclusive of add-ons. Great profit for Bologna, who paid, I think, £1.7 to buy him two years ago. Aaron Hickey is very, very good. Huge talent. Of all the Scottish fullbacks that have been around, Robertson, Tierney, this of the left backs, rather, this kid is the one with the most talent without question. My question is, where is he playing for Brentford? Because he's a left back. And Rico Henry is also a left back. And Rico Henry is very, very good. Now, Hickey can also play in midfield. He can play right back. I wonder if he's going to play right back. Maybe even right wing back if they stick to the back three system. He's a very, very good player. And if that's the role for him, I think he can adapt to it very well. I think he'll give them a new attacking outlet. Last season, he scored five goals in Syria, which is not bad. Did play largely as a wing back, but that's a very, very good return from that position. Very, very talented. I'm excited to see him come to the Premier League. Um, it looked like Arsenal might get him, but they've obviously gotten themselves caught up in trying to do 16 other things. So Aaron Hickey became available, and it looks like it's Brentford who snapped him up. Uh, my assumption, like I say, is that he's going to play right back or right wing back. It's the only thing that makes sense. Unless they're going to play him as a left-sided midfielder in front of Rico Henry, but... I don't know if that will be the case. Looking at what else they're doing this summer, they're about to, to land Keen Lewis Potter uh, by the sounds of things from Hull. Very, very talented, young, wide attacker. So if they land the two of them, you'd imagine Lewis Potter plays one side of Tony with either Mbomo or uh, Wissa on the other side. So... They're going to play a front three. You'd have to guess. I don't think they're going to pay 20 million for Lewis Potter to not start him. So you're looking at a front three, which means they're probably better off playing 4 3 3 and going with Norgard, Janolt plus Onyeka as a three man midfield. Hickey is a right back. Rico Henry is a left back. Ayer and Pontus Janssen as a pair in the centre of defence. Not a big Pontus Janssen fan, as you know, but that's not a bad starting eleven. That's not a bad starting eleven at all. They will need depth, without question. Uh, They've let a lot of players go this summer. Going into the window, I had them needing uh, a starting centre-back, a starting right-back, a starting midfielder. Now, if they want to use Onyeka, that's fine. Uh, Hickey can be that right-back, right-wing-back. I said a backup striker. Lewis Potter is better than buying a backup striker. They could probably still do with someone to replicate what Tony does, but this is a good use of your resources. They'll still need a backup keeper and some more depth in defence, but yeah, they're making good moves. They're making clever moves. And they're spending money. To their credit, they are spending money. Uh, Zeki Chalik has signed for Roma from Lille. Upgraded right back. Good signing. Uh, Sinistera, that deal looks like it's getting closer. 25 million fee, including add-ons. Could also include a sell-on. Uh, really talented player, really, really talented. I do like that one. Um, May Yashida, formerly of Southampton, has landed in Germany to sign for Schalke. Fair play. Christian Eriksen's deal with United should be confirmed later today. 
And Fiorentina president says they're not interested in Ricky Puig. Uh, they wanted to sign Florian Grilich, but there were some problems. Joyvich and Dodo from Shakhtar, yada, yada. Uh, PSG have confirmed their new manager, Christophe Galtier, leaving Nice to join Paris Saint-Germain. He obviously led Lille to the league title a couple of years ago, working with Luis Campos. It's a really good appointment, but I, I, I just don't know what he's going to do when he sees Neymar. Because Galtier's football is, is not entertaining football. It's winning football. Galtier is like the Simeone of France. There's a lot of functionality about how his teams play. Ernesto Valverde might be a better comparison. Uh, he will win the title there. But I don't think he's going to enjoy working with Neymar, and I really don't think Neymar is going to work with him. He says he has clear plans for him, but I have uh, I have doubts. Manor Solomon to Fulham looks like that should get done today as well, which is a good signing for Fulham. Talented player, a little bit inconsistent, but the talent is definitely there. As we talk, it looks like uh, Tyrell Malashia has been confirmed by Manchester United. Like I say, he's very talented, but it's just, I mean, you've only got a finite amount of money to spend. It has been confirmed. Um, You've got a finite amount of money to spend. So I don't know that spending, I know it's only 14 million, including the add-ons, on a player you don't necessarily need is the smartest way forward. But if he's what the manager wants, then so be it. The new manager needs to get a couple of players in that he trusts, that he wants. He he will long-term be a really good left-back for them. I just wonder what it means for Luke Shaw, um, who, to his credit, not last season, the season before, was the best left-back in the country. Last season he took a step back, but that was always going to happen. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about Maurizio Pochettino. And there's a piece here on the BBC about players with a point to prove. So I thought we'd go through those. Uh, I'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So... Uh, players with a point to prove this season, according to the BBC. First up is Deli Ali, and I think this is an obvious one. So we all remember how good Deli was. There were three seasons at Spurs when he was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. 15, 16, 16, 17, and 17, 18. He was just fantastic in those years. 10 goals and 46, 22 and 50, 14 and 50. Got goals, got assists, was a key part in a very good Spurs team. And then he went to the World Cup with an injury, played through the injury, had a bad World Cup, came back to Spurs, and that's where the decline really started. And we're now four years later. And he had some bright moments in the 1920 season. But the last two years in particular have been an unmitigated disaster for him. Now, Delhi is still only 26 years of age, turned 26 in April of this year. So he should be just into his prime. And yet he's four years into a slump. A slump that hasn't really showed any signs of bottoming out. And now he's going to play under Frank Lampard, who is a glorified PE teacher. But, but if anyone knows about being a goal-scoring midfielder, it is Frank Lampard. Now, Delhi and Frank are different types of players. And Frank was more of a midfielder. Delhi was a bit more of an attacker. And they got their goals in different ways. But they both got goals combining with Number nines who played really well with their back to goal. 
Now, Calvert-Lewin's game with his back to goal isn't brilliant, but it's not bad. What he is brilliant at, though, is flick-ons. And if Frank can, get, can just get Delhi running beyond Calvert-Lewin onto flick-ons, there will be opportunities to score goals there. And I do think a Calvert-Lewin, Delhi 9-10 combination is something that could work. If they put, let's say, Gordon or Damari Gray on one wing and then add an Emmanuel Dennis, who's a player been linked to them, for the other wing, that could be fairly potent. There'd be pace, there'd be goals, there'd be an aerial threat. There's not a ton of creativity in there. But Lampard's teams, I don't think, are creative teams. I think Lampard would rather bludgeon a team, which is why you get Decore plus one. So if they add Emmanuel Dennis and that holding midfielder that they need, because Alan is, is washed, it's time to move on from him. He's earning massive money. Go and find someone new, move him on. If they can add Dennis and a holding midfielder, ideally someone who can also distribute the ball at a decent level, all of a sudden, that's a solid team. It's not going to win anything, but it's a solid mid-table team. And with their financial predicament and the fact that they're trying to build a new stadium and how much money that's going to swallow up over the next two, three years, the be-all and end-all for Everton is staying in the division. Nothing else matters. And if they can get Delhi firing, he will be massive in terms of keeping them in the division. You put that midfield and attack with Patterson, Godfrey, Tarkovsky, and Michaelenko, plus Pickford, it's not a bad starting eleven. Now, you know I believe Frank Lampard to be comfortably the worst manager in the league. But they're not tied to him. If things start badly, they can sack him. Everton love to sack a manager mid-season. Nothing makes them happier than getting into November and deciding it's time to get rid of him. Let's ruin his Christmas. Let's get rid of him. And then getting in a very expensive caretaker or permanent appointment. We'll come to that potential in a few minutes. But Delhi definitely, this is a big season for him. Because if it doesn't work at Everton, I don't know where he goes next. I think he probably has to go abroad. Donny van de Beek was obviously at Everton last season, was signed by Everton on the same day they signed Delhi or the same weekend they signed Delhi. He was really, really good at Ajax. Like, absolutely excellent at Ajax. And he stayed too long. And he joined Manchester United in a move that didn't make sense at the time. It very much was them making a signing for the sake of making a signing because his best position is Bruno's best position as a number 10. It didn't work at all for him at Everton last season. And he's now back at United. And it doesn't look like there's really a spot for him because whatever you might be able to convince yourself about playing a diamond with Donny as one of the eights and Bruno as a 10, that's out the window with Christian Eriksen coming through the door. You can't play Eriksen, Donny and Bruno. You just can't. You'll get absolutely tortured by anyone with a bit of sense in midfield or a bit of power or a bit of pace. His time at United has been a complete failure, which is very disappointing for those of us that were quite excited to see where he would go from Ajax. He had three really strong seasons at Ajax before his move. He was getting better and better. And the move to United just completely torpedoed him. I think he needs to go. I don't think he can sit about just being happy to be a squad player behind Bruno and Eriksen being the primary backup to both of them. I just don't think that's 
the best move for him. And I don't think he's the type of player that influences games off the bench. He's very much a rhythm player. He's a guy that needs game time to get himself right in the groove. I think for him, he needs to look away from United. He should have gone to Palace last summer or last January when he had the option. Both him and Delhi should have gone to Palace. That was both of them had the choice and both of them chose Everton. And my guess has always been that Everton only wanted one of them and they figured one of them will go to Palace and we'll get the other one because Palace wouldn't assign both of them. And Everton ended up with both of them. And in the end, they ended up playing neither of them because Alex Iwobi took that spot in the team. Uh, Billy Gilmore is up next. And obviously he had a disappointing season at Norwich last year. He really didn't seem to fit in to how Norwich wanted to play under Dean Smith. Uh, He lacks physicality and Smith does like a bit of physicality in midfield. He likes his midfield to be a bit more aggressive than Gilmore is capable of. I do like Billy Gilmore. I think he's a talented player. I just don't know if he's a Premier League player at this point. He's certainly not a Chelsea-level player. But he has shown in some cup games that, you know, when given time and space in the ball, he can really make things run very, very competently. I wonder if a championship loan might be ideal for him. You could even get one of the teams that have just gone down, except Norwich, not Norwich. If you could send them to Watford maybe on loan for the year, that might benefit him, although they do have Imran Lusa, and that's not a midfield you want because they're both too small. He would fit in how Burnley play, but they've just bought a midfielder. So they're not going to be in that market. Maybe a move abroad is best for him. Maybe a loan move to the Eredivisie or Belgium. Even the Bundesliga could suit him well. There's no doubting he's got ability. It's just about whether or not that ability is going to translate, given how small he is. And, you know, for the ability he has, it's not like he's Xavi or Iniesta. He's 5'7", he's very slight. He does look better in international football than at club level. I'll be interested to see where he goes, because I think he will go on loan. I don't think Chelsea will keep him around this season. I think they'll want him getting minutes. There's definitely clubs out there that will want a player of his ability who can put him in the right situation. It's never really a good move to send a player like Gilmore who does want that time and space on the ball and is more of a finesse player. To send him on loan to a team that's definitely going to battle relegation is always a bit of a stretch. You'd be better off sending him on loan to a Brighton, you know, a team that's going to have a lot of the ball, a team that's going to play a certain way, that's going to put runners around him. Do you know, the move for him could be Brentford. But him with Norgard and Yanold. Norgard and Yanold will have the physicality to make up for what he doesn't have. And he can be the one that's the primary playmaking hub. If he's going to stay in England, Brentford might be the move, unless it's a, a step down the, the divisions, which I do think could be more favorable. Get him to a team. If you can get him to a team that's going to be in the top six of the championship next season, where he's going to win a lot. And his team are going to have most of the ball and dominate possession. Sheffield United, Borough maybe. One of those clubs would suit him more. Let him get into the habit of winning. Because that's what you're going to do at Chelsea. You're going to win games. You want him knowing how how to win. You don't want him being used to losing. Uh, Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, I mean, this is a no-brainer. He has obviously rehabilitated his image once. Things didn't go great when he was at Manchester United. They weren't nearly as bad as people made them out to be. He still scored goals. He got 27 and 51 in his first season. Uh, 15 and 45 in the second season isn't great. And 
was a big drop off from what he'd done the three previous sorry the four previous seasons where he was 20 and 48 25 and 46 26 and 39 and then 27 and 51 uh, so he did have what he did have that one disappointing season but you know at West Brom in his four years at Everton including the loan he'd shown what he was capable of He'd shown what he could do when the team played to his strengths. He went to United and Mourinho played to his strengths and then Oli took over and Oli didn't play to his strengths and it didn't go well. And he got moody and he seemed to pile on a bit of weight and stop working as hard on the pitch and seemed to care a little bit less. But I mean, that was also the culture of United, led by one Paul Pogba, who really couldn't have cared less what went on as long as he was getting money and was getting plenty of attention. But he went to Inter Milan, and he was absolutely brilliant for two years. Absolutely brilliant. There can be no denying how good he was. 34 goals in 51, 30 and 44, won the league title, had a brilliant understanding with Laturo. I didn't think Chelsea needed a striker. I thought they should have gone all in on building around Kai as the false nine, getting pace and goals either side of him, dropping Mason Mount back into midfield so you get that goal-scoring burst from midfield as well. But they went the Lukaku route. They didn't adapt their team to him at all. He wasn't willing to adapt to them because, well, you know, 28, 29-year-old world-class players are rarely willing to adapt their game when they've been successful doing something. So it didn't work. And back to Inter, he now goes on loan. I think it's going to be a fairly straightforward thing for him to get himself back to his very best. The other thing to factor in, he didn't want to go to Chelsea. He didn't want to go back there. He wanted to stay at Inter all along. He only left because of Inter's financial situation, because he was helping them out. He turned down the move. He said this at the time. He turned down the move. And when the ownership came to him and said, look, we need to sell you or we are in major trouble, then he agreed to it. He left for the good of the club. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to go to Chelsea. And when he did that interview in, was it, like November time, he was very open about the fact that he wanted to be still at Inter, not at Chelsea. And that was sort of the downfall of of him at Chelsea. That's where it all hit the decline. Uh, But I think it's very easy for him going back. I think he'll be great again next season. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get at least 25 goals across all competitions. Uh, Next up then, Marcus Rashford. I don't agree with this one being here. Yes, he had a bad season. There is no doubt Marcus Rashford had a very bad season this past year. But let's look at the facts of the matter. So in 2021, he plays 57 games with a multitude of injuries. He gets overplayed. He gets played when he's hurt. He plays in the Euros. He misses that penalty. He gets an awful lot of abuse. And I think all of that combined, the surgeries he had, the mental drain of the previous year, the mental drain of the pandemic, I think all of that just combined to make him have a stinker of a season. And it's not like he was the only one. Like, there's nobody at Manchester United last season who you can look at and say had a good season. Not Cristiano, not Bruno, nobody. Nobody had a good season. It was a team-wide pandemic of crap. Softness through the team, a lack of desire through the team. Oli got sacked. Ranić came in. Ranić didn't click with the players. The players didn't click with him. It, it just never worked. So I think Rashford will be fine. I expect him to bounce back and, and be good again without question. He's a very good player. But as I said before, if I was him and he will be 25 in October, 
if I was him, I would not be considering signing a new contract at Manchester United. Now, he is out of contract in 2023, but the club have an option to extend till 2024. If I was him, I'd play out this year and then I'd force a move next summer. Refuse to sign a contract. Tell them you're leaving. Unless the culture changes massively, and I mean a complete 180 to the point where it's an unrecognizable dressing room, an unrecognizable club, get yourself clear of that club. Get yourself as far clear as you can. You're too good to waste your time at that club. You're too good of a human being to be around whatever it is that goes on there. Uh, next up is Dean Henderson. Look, there's a World Cup in a few months and he wants to be England's number one and I think he is England's best goalkeeper. So if he starts the season well and he does well with Nottingham Forest and he can help them start like they've been in the league for years, he'll have a chance. He was very good on loan at Sheffield United. He got lied to about going back to Manchester United and uh, seemed to have overtaken De Gea in 2021. And then last season, after the injury where he that caused him to miss the Euros, uh, he just never got a look in. De Gea played every game. I think Dean Henderson will be fine, though. He's a very good goalkeeper. He's not a great goalkeeper. I don't think he'll ever be a great goalkeeper. But I do think he is a very good goalkeeper. I think he's comfortably England's best. He's 25. That's still a good age for a goalkeeper. He won't hit his peak for another two, three years. I hope he does really well at Forest, and I, I, I hope he goes on to have good success wherever it is he lands. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic will try to put an end to the tag that he's too good for the championship and not good enough for the Premier League which is absolutely uh, a fair tag to have on a player like him who simply hasn't done well in the Premier League. I mean, you look at his career statistics. He arrives from Anderlecht at Newcastle, does well the first season, 9-34. and 34. It's not bad. It's not good. It's not bad. Uh, into the Championship, and he was actually garbage his first season of the Championship. He got four in, in 25. Um, comes back up with the tune. Scores one and six, can't get a run. Goes to Fulham on loan, second half of the season, and just smashes it. 12 goals and 17. Up they come. 11 and 37 was disappointing. Down they go. 26 in 40. Really impressive. Up they come. Three and 27. Awful. Down they go. And then last year, 43 in 44, and up they come again. He has been promoted with Fulham three times. That's really impressive. Really impressive. But he does need to shake the tag that he can't do it in the top flight. He's had three different bites at it now. It hasn't gone well. It is time for him to prove he's good enough to play in the Premier League. He's 27. He'll be 28 in September. He's right in his peak. It's time for he, him to really show what he can do against top-class defenders. I believe he will do well this season because I think he's got a really good manager this year in Marco Silva. Uh, I think he'll do well. The team is built to supply him with chances. I, I don't know how many goals, but I think he will get more than 15. More than 15 in the Premier League. He might be streaky. He might be one of those who gets like, seven and ten games then doesn't score for like six or seven and then gets eight and 12 or 13 and then doesn't score for the remainder so keep an eye on him though i think he'll be i think he'll be much improved uh, and the last one here is jesse lingard i mean jesse lingard has proven what he is which is a bang average player he's had in his career one really good run of form to, that suggests he's anything other than a bang average player. Now, he did have a run under Mourinho, um, but was that under Mourinho or was it under Van Hal? I think it was under Mourinho. Yeah, 17, 18. He gets 13 goals in 48 games. Um, and he was decent that season. But it's that West Ham loan that people harp on about. Nine goals in 16 games. There was no fans in the stands. 
I don't take anything from that season. Luke Shaw was the best left back in the country. Joe Willock was that good on loan. Newcastle spent 25 million on him. Now, I like Joe Willock, but not for 25 million. He can't even get the Newcastle team now. Jesse Lingard is not the player that we saw in that run at West Ham. He is the player we've seen the rest of his career, which is bang average. And the idea of paying him 150 grand a week is just mental to me. He'll be 30 in December. He's going to want a three or four year contract. He's wasted his peak by staying at United for whatever reason. He's far too invested in stuff away from football for me to walk around my club. So I don't know what it is he's going to prove, um, but he's just not very good. Simple as that. I don't care if he scored the winner in the FA Cup final. He's just not very good. Right. Last thing before we hit the gossip. Maurizio Pochettino is the odd man out now at Paris Saint-Germain. Obviously, with Galtier in the door, Pochettino is now out the door. First things first, I think the way they've treated him has been a disgrace. Like, I get it wasn't perfect. I understand that there were problems with his time at PSG. But let's be honest, he did win the league title. You know, that does count for something, not for a whole lot because it is PSG, but does count for something. He won 65.48, so basically 65.5% of his games across the 18 months he was there. I don't have a problem with removing him. I really don't. If you decide he's not the one, then he's not the one. Sack him and move on. But don't. Keep him hanging around while you openly court another manager and talk openly about the fact that you are in negotiations to get this other manager. Don't do that. That's so disrespectful. And it's worth remembering, Pochettino, this was his dream job because he loved Paris when he was a player there. He's always wanted to go back and play or and manage PSG. And he finally got the opportunity and he was treated like absolute dirt. Now, he will get another job very soon, without doubt, because he's a good manager. The only reason it took over a year for him to get a job between Tottenham and PSG is because he wanted the time off and he was waiting for a, a big job. But that Tottenham team of his were very good. They should have won a league title. Like they really should have won a league title. The year Leicester won a Tottenham with the best team in the country and just found new and exciting ways to bottle it every couple of weeks. But they were the best team in the country that season. That was a team he built. A team that he crafted, that he moulded in his identity, that he had playing his way. And he was quite unfortunate that he didn't always get the backing he needed from Daniel Levy because obviously Spurs were getting ready to try and fund this new stadium. And then when he finally got the backing, it was too late. It was the summer they'd lost the Champions League final. There was clearly a disconnect between him and the players. His run was done. It was time for him to move on. But I think there'll be plenty of clubs that will look at Pochettino, who at the minute is not as... His reputation isn't as shiny as it was when he left Spurs. I think it's been tarnished by the time of PSG, not all through his fault at all. Some of it is on him, but most of it is on just the fact that it's PSG. But look at the last manager who left PSG, Thomas Tuchel. Look what he's got on to achieve, winning a Champions League with Chelsea. I think there'll be a lot of clubs that will look at Maurizio Pochettino and think, he is our, in case of emergency, break glass. If the season starts badly, we're going to bin this fella and we're going to throw all the money at him. 
I think he'll want to come back to the Premier League. He knows the league. He knows the players. He knows the managers. He understands what it is to do well in the Premier League. Liverpool will not be changing manager. Jurgen Klopp could lose 10 in a row and it, it wouldn't even get mentioned. City the same. Bowley is putting so much faith into Thomas Tuchel, allowing him to have such an influence in the transfer strategy that I think Tuchel is fairly bulletproof. I don't imagine Antonio Conte is going anywhere till at least next summer. Maybe Pochettino sits out for a year and waits to see what happens there. Um, but if Arsenal have a bad start, they have put a lot of faith in Arteta and they are a little bit tied to Arteta, but would it surprise you massively if in December, if they're ninth, if they turned around and went, right, this is not working, you've got to go. So that could be one. United have just appointed Ten Hag. That job is now off the table for at least two years. They have to give him at least two years. In fact, they really do need to give him at least three years just to clean up the mess he's inherited. But two years is probably a fairer demand, considering they are Man United and they will want to have success. But that job won't be on the table, I don't believe, any time in the next year. Moyes is not going anywhere. He's entrenched at West Ham. They're very, very happy with him. Leicester could be an interesting one if they decide to move on from Rodgers. It's a really good squad you'd get to inherit uh, with a lot of talent all over the pitch. Would they be a big enough club to attract Pochettino? Maybe. Maybe. I think that the talent is such that he'd have to at least consider it. So that'd be one. Bruno Lage should be untouchable at Wolves, but given they're not really seeming to back him this summer, who knows? But I don't think Wolves could attract him. Brighton couldn't attract him. And, and I don't think Graham Potter could really do anything um, to deserve the sack at that club. So I think he's safe as houses. So in the top half... Arsenal and Leicester are the two jobs that you could maybe look at. But they're both on the longer shot kind of side of things, do you know? But in the bottom half, there's a couple of big clubs who could well make moves. So Aston Villa is one. Wes Edens doesn't mess around. If you don't deliver, you're gone. He's very ambitious. Those owners are very, very wealthy. They've invested a lot of money in this team. They've invested a lot of money again this summer, and they're probably not finished yet. I think if Gerard starts the season poorly, Villa are a club that could become very interested in Pochettino very quickly. And that's a big club. If he goes there to meet with them, he walks in, he sees a European club, a whole bunch of league titles, a whole bunch of FA Cups. That's a club that have had great success. That's a club that pre-Premier League have a real case that they were the fourth biggest club in England. United, Liverpool and Arsenal were the big, big three. Villa may well have been the fourth biggest club in England. When you look at success, you look at fan base, you look at stadium size, etc., etc. I think there's a real case that Villa were the fourth biggest club. Arguably the fifth biggest club at that point was Everton. Everton have the worst manager in the league. If it starts badly, they will remove him, and that could be where they go Pochettino. Now, he will be taking that job understanding that there's not a big budget. There isn't a huge amount of money to spend. Unless they get sold, then things could change drastically. But... You do get to work with Delhi again, who had his best years with you. You get to work with Calvert-Lewin, who's a good player. There's good defenders there. There's the bones of something, but it's probably something that tops out around mid-table. And does he really want to go to another club that has a stadium on the horizon when he knows what that dance is like? 
Maybe not, but Everton will try their luck if Lampard doesn't work out. And the last one then is Newcastle. Again, a big club, but the difference here, all the money in the world. Newcastle can offer him whatever he wants. Now, they're at the moment acting very sensibly, you know, in terms of their transfer approach. Gamerish in January, Botman. These are sensible signings. Even Matt Target is a sensible signing. It's not splashy or spectacular, it's just sensible. So, Newcastle may give Eddie Howe the whole season, but if things start badly, would it be a surprise if they sacked him and went Pochettino? I don't think it would. So those are the jobs I would say to keep an eye on. Arsenal, Leicester, Villa, Everton and Newcastle. If Pochettino comes back to England in his next job, I think those are the five most likely ones. Unless he waits till next next summer, in which case maybe the Spurs job opens up again. But I would always advise against going back because it's never going to be the same. Now, Spurs do seem to be in a bit of a different era financially where maybe there's more money to spend, but still... I would say to him, those are the five jobs. They're the ones to keep a look at him. Uh, we will wrap up then with the gossip. Uh, Chelsea are considering a move for Cristiano, yada, yada. Cristiano could be willing to join Chelsea. No one cares. Uh, Barcelona president Joan Laporta and agent George Mendes are also discussing the possibility of the Real Madrid icon making a sensational return to La Liga. Uh, that reminds me of when he was on the verge of signing for City, uh, except I don't think Real Madrid would be stupid enough to do what United did. Uh, Cristiano is also willing to take a significant pay cut. Well, if that is true, then that puts Samuel Luckhurst's reporting firmly in the bin. Um, or Luckhurst is right and this is nonsense. Chelsea are in advanced talks to sign Raheem, Raheem Sterling. Be a great signing for them. AC Milan are working on a deal to sign Hakim Ziyech. A good move for all parties, I think. Uh, Manchester United officials met Ajax counterparts at the weekend to discuss a move for Lisandro Martinez. Tottenham have made an inquiry about Memphis Depay. I doubt it, having just signed with Charleston. Spurs are closing in on a loan deal for Clement Langley. Don't like that one. Uh, but do like this, uh, Spain centre-back Pau Torres is still a target for Tottenham despite the imminent arrival of Langley. Now, I will say I'd much prefer Guardiol, but get Pau Torres now, play him in the middle, or play him on the left, rather, and then move him into the middle next year and bring in Guardiol if you have to wait a year on him. West Ham are set to beat Everton to the free transfer signing of Jesse Lingard. The less said, the better. Tottenham forward Stephen Bergvine has turned down offers from Everton and Manchester United in favour of a move to Ajax. I, I do have a tough time believing that. <clears throat> I'm not sure he'd turn down a move to United in favour of a move to Ajax, considering he wants to go to Ajax to play for Ten Hag. Everton and West Ham have both registered their interest in signing Armando Broya with striker value of £30 million. I he, he goes to Everton only if Calvert-Lewin leaves. You're not playing the two of them together. Um, I, I just think Chelsea would be so foolish to sell, to sell him. I think if you sell him, you're just going to end up regretting it and wanting to buy him back in a couple of years. Uh, Leeds are in talks to sign Sinistera. Leeds are closing in the move for Tyler Adams. Leeds are also in talks over Charles de Ketelier. Uh, Newcastle remain interested in Moussa Diaby. I, I really want him to stay at Leverkusen. I really want to see that Leverkusen attack of him, Verts, um, Plazek and Schick. I, I want to see that once Verts is back fit. I want to see that four together. Brighton are keen on a move for Nicolas Taglifico, who's available for 3.3 million. That's a really good price. He, he's, past, he's a little bit past his best, but he's a very good player. 
Um, he makes sense for a team that plays wing-backs. Nottingham Forest have agreed a £13 million deal, including add-ons for Musa Niakata. West Ham have had a bid of £20 million rejected for Amadou Onana. That's by the Athletics, so we can definitely take that. Yeah, Roshan Thomas does not, does not talk nonsense. €23 million, Euro, £20 million. Pounds. Very, very talented. I really like him. He's one that I actually would like at Liverpool um, as a long-term Fabinho successor. I'd be curious to see if they go back with a higher bid there. Uh, Crystal Palace at Hampton and Nottingham Forest are all interested in Morgan Gibbs-White. If they're all interested, Forest should, or Wolves should probably be looking at that and thinking, well, maybe we should keep him. But he's a great fit for any of those three clubs, in particular Palace in the Gallagher role from last year or Forrest in the Zinkernagel role. He would work at Southampton without doubt, but he'd have to adapt to dropping wide off the ball because they play that box midfield that becomes a flat four out of possession. So he'd need to need to adapt to that, but I, I'd back him to do it because he's a big, big talent. And that is it. That is the gossip for today. That is me for today. I will see you tomorrow when I will have a guest for the first time in I don't know how long I will have a guest so see you then bye bye Podcast Network.